You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius podcast. I have Ivan Poon. He's a senior research fellow in biochemistry and genetics at La Trobe University. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, extracellular vesicles and um, you know what happens uh, as, as part of cell turnover and other things in the body. So, Ivan, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for inviting. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your research. What's the focus of it? Yeah, so the focus of our work is trying to understand what happens to dying cells, you know, when they die. In particular, the process of when they die, they will actually uh, undergo a fragmentation process where they will generate small vesicles um, called uh, apoptotic bodies. And what we're interested in is, you know, why when cells die, they will spend so much energy to actually generate these vesicles and you know, the reason for this process, you know, whether it plays a role in facilitating uh, communication with other uh, healthy cells nearby, or is it a process to help neighboring cells to actually clean them up? So, yeah, I've heard of apoptotic bodies, and uh, I guess they're classified as a, uh, a type of EV, an extracellular vesicle. Yep. I know there's also exosomes and things like that. So yep. what, what happens visually, you know, uh, and then another other method, what happens when a cell dies? Does it seem to break apart in an orderly fashion or does it just explode and fragments of it are all over the place? Well, I think um, for many years, at least for the last 40 years, um, you know, since the discovery of you know, description of apoptosis, people thought that you know, when cells die, they can actually generate you know, a, a variety of different vesicles, in particular apoptotic bodies. And it's thought to be more of a random process where they just randomly break apart into you know, different fragments because they thought that it's just a waste disposal kind of process. But uh, more recently, we discovered that when cells do die, it seems to be a highly regulated process. Um, morphologically, when you look at it under the microscope, they can form you know, a variety of you know, very structured protrusions where they control how cells actually disassemble. And then um, to support that this is a regulated process, we found a number of molecular regulators that control this process. So recently, we found this process more regulated than random. Okay, but again, what does it look like? Is it a few? Does the cell like lice open, and or does it the the membrane vesiculate, and these gigantic apoptotic bodies spin off, and and how many of them come off approximately? Like, 
millions or thousands or you know one key things to um, keep in mind is i think every cell type is a bit different so for example uh for T cells, for example, where when they uh, die, they will actually form circular bulges on the surface first, which we call blebs. And then the T cells can then form a very thin protrusion, like a string protrusion that helps to separate them. So the cells actually doesn't lie, but actually uh, form vesicles that are still uh, intact. And in this case, uh, possibly one T cells can generate maybe 10 uh, vesicles that are intact, you can actually see them. They're about one to five micron in size. Uh, but for example, for other cell types like monocytes, uh, what they can do is that they can form, again, when they die, they form this string-like protrusion. But this string-like protrusion, that becomes like a beaded necklace. So basically the protrusion uh, first form, it becomes beaded. It's like the fragmentation of this protrusion then generate the apoptotic bodies. In this case, the, the vesicles or apostolic bodies are smaller, so they're usually between one to two, three microns. Uh, but what's interesting is that um, using this separate mechanism of generating the apostolic bodies, uh, the cells can actually generate up to you know, 60, you know, even more apostolic bodies. So it is all um, cell type dependent. So um, a protrusion comes out of the cell and then it beads along yep. the length of the protrusion and then what happens? Each bead is an apoptotic body or does the whole string come out or what, what, what happens? Um, based on uh, microscopy analysis, uh, we would think that uh, both could happen actually. So uh, because it becomes beaded, so depending on how it fragments, so you know, each of the single beads could be apoptotic bodies and sometimes they can also attach like a string of beads as well. Huh. What about um, looking inside the apoptotic bodies? What's in them? Um, so a, a number of work uh, done by others and us have shown that, you know, they have a variety of uh, molecules very similar to what's in exosomes um, and microvesicles. So they ha- can contain uh, DNA, RNA, uh, a variety of uh, proteins, and obviously lipid. But the thing about apoptotic bodies is uh, we still don't really know, you know, why, you know, some of those um Molecules are packaged into apoptotic bodies and how they actually function. So, uh, okay, but I mean, I've seen like with exosomes and other EVs, they'll have you know various RNAs, they'll have uh, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. But again, what is, is there a predominance of what is inside an apoptotic body? Has anyone looked? Can they be? You know, can you centrifuge down without destroying everything uh, to look at their structure? Can their structure be seen on microscopes? I mean, what do we know about them? Yep. So uh, we can actually isolate them using a number of uh, different methods, as you mentioned. So uh, we can centrifuge them down to isolate them and they will uh, remain intact. Uh, we can also, because they're bigger, so we can isolate them using the typical cell sorting method, facts. But once we isolate them, we can actually visualize them variety of different you know, methods. For example, by microscopy, we can you know, see you know, DNA, RNA, and you know, protein of interest, and even whole organelles in there uh in terms of whether uh because in, in the area of exosomes and microvesicles you know sometimes certain um microRNA or you know certain molecules are enriched in in those vesicles uh in apoptotic bodies sometimes we do see them again it's very cell type dependent so for example as i mentioned before for the monocytes uh, where they form the protrusion that become beaded under those settings, nuclear contents such as DNA and nuclear protein are excluded, whereas um, it's mostly um, cytoplasmic protein in there. 
before um, a number of other cell types, such as T cells, for, for example, nuclear material can be uh, partitioned. In terms of uh, whether a particular microRNA is enriched in there, it's a bit different because um, apoptotic bodies, at the end of the day, come out of um, a dying cells and they get packaged in that setting. Um, so they don't really package, you know, in, at least in our experience, they don't package a specific microRNA per se. But um, basically, if that particular cell before it dies, express, say, high level of a particular microRNA uh, in a product bodies, they're likely to contain the same you know, enrichment. Oh, okay. So I mean, there's the assumption that it's, it's just, uh, you know, there's no the cell, ha- I'll just anthropomorphize, the cell has no plan, it just dies. So there's just mm-hmm. random stuff in the apoptotic bodies. But what if uh, the death was not only programmed, but anticipated? And what if the apoptotic bodies were deliberately packed with uh, some sort of communication, as in regular exosomes? Maybe mm-hmm. they're directed at certain targets. And then when they reach the targets, they will influence them in a certain way. Maybe the, you know, again, the cell was dying in a way where it says, all right, you know, it's like, it's like a will and testament. I want my cellular assets to go to these cells because they need them more. Yeah. You know, make yeah. sure that these go to the, you know, to this place to be chewed up and destroyed and not, you know, maybe there's instructions what I'm saying on the apoptotic bodies in some sense. Well, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what we are trying to look into. So um, again, you know, whether the um, apoptotic cells would then break apart and have certain signals that can actually direct them to a particular cell type is something that we're definitely um, looking into. But uh, one interesting thing that, uh, but, you know, under physiological setting, we actually still don't quite understand this process. For example, you know, if a cell's die in the thymus, um, does it go anywhere else other than the thymus or can it traffic somewhere else um, to communicate with other cells? But one thing that we are working on right now is the, uh, for example, as you mentioned, under certain settings. So, for example, um, when a cell are, say, infected with uh, influenza virus and then cause them to undergo cell death, apoptotic bodies actually can contain some of those viral molecules, viral RNA, protein, and also virions um, in that case. And that can be trafficked to neighboring cells. And then based on our data, we think that they can also cause the other cells to become infected. And so that's one of the functions. But in terms of targeting them to a specific cell, we still don't know yet. But one thing we do know is that apoptotic bodies contain, the, the, the surface of the vesicles um, or apoptotic bodies and also apoptotic cells are changed. So they can expose a particular lipid such as phosphorylserine which can be picked up by certain uh, phagocytes if they have the phosphorylserine receptive per se. Yeah. yeah you know, it would be interesting is if, um, if you look at a cell that has been, you know, lysed again with, by a virus or, uh, you know, yeah, by a virus. If you look at the apoptotic bodies and if you see, you know, a complete absence of the virus in some, or if you see an even amount in each, or it might tell you that perhaps the virus is being able to use the cell's machinery to deliberately make sure that the apoptotic bodies will have viruses in them so they can spread. And if so, if the virus can direct the cell's machinery to do this, that might say that the cell can do this as well. It might have some control over, again, what goes into its apoptotic bodies instead of just randomly, like, you know, blowing open. Yeah, definitely. In particular, if there's a mechanism where, um, you know, for example, some virus will assemble on the plasma membrane. So therefore, they are naturally more, they're already at the site where the apoptotic bodies are generated. So I would not be surprised if there's a mechanism where if a cell can actually 
export certain protein to that particular location or in the traffic um, to that site, uh, those proteins are more likely to be enriched in apoptotic bodies. Well, wait a minute. Where do, where do the bodies form? Just I mean, so once a cell has produced them, is there anything left of the cell? Is the center part left and just, you know, the membrane has been butted off completely or is it the whole thing gone? And the entire cell gets, you know, vesiculated and sent off? In most of the case, often the whole cell get vesiculated and you know, break off. But more, uh, more, I guess, for certain cell type, uh, in particular, when the, uh, the vesicularization actually happened at the plasma membrane, what happens is the often it's the nucleus and part of the membrane that actually get left behind. And often that's also the biggest part of um, apoptotic bodies. In, in, um, in, and sometimes that part is called um, apoptotic cell body. And so that's kind of like the, the remnants of things that cannot be, you know, fragmented further into smaller pieces. So what happens to the... Uh the nucleus, and then what happens to the apoptotic bodies? Like, where do they go? Has anyone traced to see where they end up in the body? Do they all go to the same place or different? Yeah, very good question. That's exactly what what we're working on right now. We do think that, you know, because it contains the nucleus, it probably requires, you know, a particular phagocyte, in particular macrophage, to actually to deal with them. And we are trying to establish methods to actually trying to visualize, you know, does different parts of apoptotic bodies go to different places or being taken care of by different cells. So hopefully in the next year or so, you know, using intravital imaging or um, also using Cebrafish system, that we can actually clearly visualize this process. Well, what happens, can you find a cell that's getting close to, to cell death? And if so, perhaps just like in cell division, there's a big rearrangement of the contents, you know, like, are you able to identify again, before it happens and when it does happen how fast and are you able to see what leads up to the happening the death yeah i think that the hope is actually setting up you know um the cyberfish system to visualize this so if we can you know label the plasma membrane the nucleus and also other cytoplasmic content we can hopefully can uh, visualize this because probably not as organized as a, a cell division process but at least you know, we do think that it's not a random process. Say, you know, if we talk about nucleus, we do think that nucleus is most likely to be partitioned. Say a cell would divide it into um, 10 pieces. The nucleus will probably be partitioned into maybe one to two or three of those fragments. So uh, we're trying to understand, you know, how this process actually occurs. How early is it for you? What have you discovered about this process so far? And then what are some experiments that you think well, what experiments are you conducting that within maybe the next six months or a year or two years are going to show you something and what will it be? Yeah, so um, I we, we do think that, you know, as I mentioned before, it's a highly regulated process. So we think that during the blabbing stage, and people have described this earlier as well, that, you know, the blabbing force could actually help to push the nucleus to um, certain part of the cell. And by doing that, and then, afterward the protrusion that we described will then form and that allows basically the separation of you know fragment containing nucleus and those that don't so uh what we're trying to do now is to track whether you know does both say say for example a fragment that contains the nucleus uh, as you mentioned before does it stay behind to get cleaved by the local macrophage and whether the remainder of the smaller fragment doesn't contain the nucleus actually do play a different role where they can be uh, cleared by other cells or they can travel further. Um, so therefore, they can facilitate an intercellular communication process. Basically, trying to dissect, you know, if we do have, um, if, if the cells do die and then partition content into different compartments, 
does any of those vesicles then traffic to different places and play different roles? And that's what we are trying to um, establish. Interesting. And what cell type are you focusing on or cell types? Which ones are the most accessible for you? Which ones die? most often i think uh, usually it's the immune cells because i mean there's a lot of cell lines and you know models that we can use to um, track them uh, but we do work on a number of different other cell types as well so um right now we know if there's strong interest in you know monocytes dendritic cells um t cells we haven't touched b cells but we also have a strong interest in endothelial cells as well you know trying to see you know if they do die do they just like break off into circulation and after it breaks off in the circulation where do they go that's what we're trying to work out do cells seem to die one at a time or what about when um, a piece of tissue dies is there a cascading effect where the dying ones inform the other ones is there some set of some signal where you'll have multiple cell die off at once where it's orchestrated somehow there is actually some evidence suggesting that, you know, when cells actually can, you know, release extracellular vesicles to um, to actually communicate, to actually cause neighboring cells to die. Uh, in our setting, we haven't um, looked at that ourselves, so I'm not too sure in our setting. But yeah, something to, you know, worthwhile to look into. I think it will be clear based on uh, some of our in, vi- uh, in vivo imaging. But so far, when we do the imaging, um, unless it's during development where a particular area um, is more prone to cell death, we don't see them, you know, the, the neighboring cells will die at the same time. Um, yeah. Okay, so it seems to be like one at a time. Hmm. Plus, yeah, how, yeah. Long, how long does the, uh, the process take from, you know, one minute the cell's alive, the next minute it's, you know, in a whole bunch of pieces? I mean, how fast does this happen? Um, it's actually surprisingly quick so it would take in a matter of minutes i would say uh, you know between you know 20 minutes to an hour depending on different cell types again that they can start from um what we can detect them as you know cells that are undergoing cell death um you know have you know caspase activity so therefore indicating that cells is undergoing cell death or uptake a particular dye and then uh, expose fossil serine on the surface so that marks them as dying and then we can start to see some of those morphological features um, like you know the blebs that i mentioned before protrusion and then often within an hour you will see distinct fragment that actually been generated and we can capture this by um thomas microscopy what about uh, the microbial attachment or the viral, you know, the virome, the microbiome, the microbiome, mm-hmm. et cetera. Do you see any interaction when a cell is undergoing apoptosis with local uh, bacteria or other creatures? Yeah, so, I mean, again, it depends on the pathogen. Some pathogen would um, actually prevent cells to die, and some some would also promote as well. But in those cases, um, we, we haven't quite quantified, you know, clearly yet, but we do have a... Um, feeling that you know when we do imaging for example cells infected with viruses um influenza virus uh, they tend to break up a little bit better say for example they generate you know more apoptotic bodies per cell that actually um, been influenced by the virus but um, the, sometimes it's difficult to measure that because it takes a you know, longer time you know infection 24 hours until we see the process so it's hard to um capture everything and quantify it accurately at this stage what about um, cancer cells? I mean, there's only so many experiments you can do, but have you uh, been able to observe cancer cells in apoptosis and is it radically different from healthy cells? Surprisingly not. We, in the lab, I guess most of the time we do, at least um, in vitro settings, we do use uh, a lot of you know, cancer cells and they are very good at dying and then breaking apart when we you know, provide them with a particular stimulus to induce them to undergo cell death. And uh, so, yeah, cancer cells do break apart quite well. 
Okay, I just didn't know if they were any different. And then what about um, cells that turn over quite a bit versus ones that are longer lived? Anyone look at that to see like, you know, older cells, are they wiser? You know, do they, uh-huh. they break apart differently? No, uh, good good question. We actually haven't really, you know, um, at this stage, uh, we haven't asked the question, you know, this question of, you know, comparing, you know, if they are, you know, older cells or cancer cells or in the same, say the same cell type, if it's in the cancerous or non-cancerous or cells that's, you know, more long-lived, um, do they die differently? I mean, you know, for example, you know, we haven't really even looked at neurons, you know, how they um, break apart. You know, there's some evidence in the literature when they do break apart they're a bit different from the process that we are seeing in, say, immune cells, which, you know, turn over more. But, yeah, we haven't actually looked at that. Yeah, and then cells in a tissue, if they're in a fixed, you know, extracellular matrix, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a need for them to form all these bodies, and if so, where would they go? Do they, you know, if you're a surface cell, but yep. constrained laterally and, you know, uh, by extracellular matrix, but if, yep. you know, mm-hmm. wh- where do your apoptotic bodies go? What if you're an interior cell where you're surrounded on all sides, except for a little bit of interstices, you know, by other cells, like, yep. do you make much smaller bodies so that they can be carried out of there? Or do like, what happens to you? Yeah, no, no, that's, that's another fascinating question. So, um, again, hopefully we can, you know, work on that, um, in the separate fish system, but at least in the preliminary data so far, we don't seem to, we, we don't think that's the, the key influence. At least I'm, I'm pretty sure that will have some influence, but, um, but, you know, we see epithelial cells, you know, you know, supposedly they get pushed out, you know, and then get removed. But they um, still form quite a lot of apoptotic bodies. And we wonder why that's the case. On the other hand, you know, cells that are, you know, say, for example, you know, T cells in the thymus, you know, surrounded by, you know, family epithelial cells or macrophage, they also break apart extremely well. So, you know, whether there's a, you know, extra cell matrix is going to, or, you know, the local environment causing them to break apart differently is at this stage we we don't think that would be the case yet. So what are you hoping to figure out in the near term? I think the key things that we want to uh, figure out is to try to understand what is the, you know, the molecular mechanism. So what are the molecules that control this process? But we do have a theory now that we, we know that plays a key role. But what we do really want to find out is to do with, um, you know, particular disease settings, you know, do they actually play a role in particular disease, whether it's infection, autoimmunity or cancer? Do they actually... Um, play a role in uh, communicating with other cells because you know ultimately what we want to do is to identify drugs that can actually either inhibit or enhance how cells break apart and by doing that hopefully you know we can say for example if we block cells to break apart during infection that could be beneficial or maybe in a cancer setting when we you know enhance this process that could be beneficial we don't know well, very good. What's the best way for people to uh, find out more and to get in touch and see your papers? Yeah, so um, best to um, come to the Latrope website to find to look for me under the Latrope website, and then from my page you can see the the different themes that we're working on, and then from then you can uh, find a link to some of my papers. Excellent. Well, Ivan, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Hey, Chief. Thank you. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. 
FutureTech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.